friends. Welcome to the Johnson City Living Podcast, where we learn about the people, places, events, and flavors that make Johnson City a lovely place to live. It is a beautiful May spring day here in Johnson City. I'm hanging out with Dr. Richard Sander. He is Executive Director for the Center for Global Leadership, Sports Leadership, and Assistant to the President, Brian Nolan of ETSU. Thank you for coming in, Dr. Sanders. It's great to see you again. Good seeing you. It's uh, always uh, enjoyable to have a chance to visit. Yeah, it really is. I always, every time, I've, we've been together a few times, and every time I always walk away going, I really enjoyed our time together. I like that guy a lot. So um, no wonder you're successful, because everywhere you go, I feel like you leave people in a better spot. Well, you know, I try. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess, you know, that's one of the things I've been very blessed in my life to be able to do a lot of things that um, were good for me and my family. So I think if you can give back a little bit and help other people, then you really ought to do it. So yeah. in my in my time and stage in my life right now, that's kind of what I'm focused on. Yeah, yeah. So Johnson City Living Podcast, you live here. Tell me some of your favorite things about Johnson City in the area. Well, you know, I love ETSU. You know, I think ETSU brings so much to a community whenever you have a university that can be kind of the focal point for a lot of activities, whether it be athletics or cultural or educational or whatever. I think that brings so much to the dance. And I think, you know, with the, you know, the Martin Center Initiative that, you know, President Nolan was so uh committed to make a reality to see some of the things that are happening there and then you know the football stadium we built and mm -hmm. you know clearly you know basketball has been successful in all our sports so you know i think that's a neat part of it but i just think the the people in general i think you know this is such a nice community to live in i think life is relatively uncomplicated compared to a lot of places that you live and you can have anything that you want i think you know um, there's really nothing lacking here in, you know, Johnson City. So um, I enjoy it. You know, I've lived in, I'm from Cincinnati originally, pretty big city, mm -hmm. worked in Memphis for five years. And then, you know, the majority of my career was in Richmond, Virginia. So um, having a chance to be here in a little bit different, you know, quality of life situation is, is really nice. Mm -hmm. um, so I really enjoy it. But like I said, I think what makes any community or the people and i think the people here are, are very friendly and giving and you know they they really do a good job of uh making people feel good about you know this community yeah i think we um we hear over and over and over that's the people here that make it awesome the mountains are beautiful etsu is fantastic We've got, you know, four great seasons, but it comes down to the people, right? And so, sure does. What do you feel like, um, from an outsider coming in, um, what do you feel like makes us that way, you think? Have you been able to pick up on some of the reasons? Um I just think people are real here. You know what I mean? There's not a lot of airs. There's not a lot of phoniness. You know, I don't right. think people are trying to convince anything of anybody. I think people are relatively tolerant here and mm -hmm. very, um, very willing to um, embrace new people when they come into the community, to be perfectly honest. And, you know, when we moved to Richmond from Memphis, you know, and I was athletic director at Virginia Commonwealth University in 1986, it was a little bit different from that, you know. I think, you know, there were a lot of Virginia blue blood type mentality. And if you know anything about VCU, VCU is kind of the university for the common person. You gotcha. know, it's like 25,000 students, but a lot of them are night students. A lot of them are working. A lot of kids are, you know, have part-time jobs doing that. So it doesn't have a real affluent 
um, student body. And so I think that compared to the University of Richmond, which is probably just the opposite, small private with a lot of kids coming from the Northeast down there, University of Virginia, which is what, 40, 50 miles away, William and Mary, those are all prestigious universities that I think, you know, there's a little bit of an air about that. Mm -hmm. So um, compared to then being here where people were so uh, willing to um, embrace and get to know you and just it's not about where you came from, but it's just kind of how you are and, and how you deal with people. So I think, you know, that's been the one thing that I think is really kind of a differentiator. And of course, you know, in Memphis, Memphis is such a big city. Mm -hmm. and, um, so it's not nearly as easy to uh, get engaged there as it is in in, in you know, Johnson City. So I, I really have enjoyed that. And I think, uh, you know, that's one of the things that, you know, makes life very, uh, very rewarding here. I agree. I agree. It's, um, yeah, it's just a great place to live and grow up. And I feel blessed. Where did you, um, where were you born? Where'd you grow up? Tell me yeah. a little bit about the Doc Sanders story. Yeah, I, I grew up in Cincinnati, born and raised, you know. Okay. And so, um, you know, probably, you know, kind of just a... <laughs> pretty normal life yeah. was your dad an athletic director no no my dad my dad uh was a very hard working guy who basically worked for the for the you know for the telephone company started out climbing poles and doing oh, yeah. that sort of stuff Climbing. and then yeah. eventually got into sales and but you know i think uh really gave me a, a real uh, you know a real introduction to what you know, the value of hard work mm. and um, really being focused on what you want to do and that you can accomplish anything that you want to. So, you know, I was very involved in sports. That's kind of what I did. And I probably played in probably the most aggressive youth football program in the country when i was in the sixth grade we played in the cotton bowl and oh wow yeah i think our record was 18 and 0 we allowed one touchdown all year so it was very very aggressive the coach yeah. was very aggressive i uh, don't know how that would sell in uh today's world but um <laughs> you know but the, all the kids on the team loved them and you know it was just really unique and then continued to play you know throughout you know throughout grade school and high school actually I went to uh, Chattanooga on a football scholarship, so that's what I did. I was a quarterback. And oh, okay, nice. Got there, and um, they decided pretty quick that uh, I think, you know, they always recruit a bunch of freshman quarterbacks, and so I think I was the uh, number five on the depth chart of the five freshman quarterbacks. So they moved me to defensive back. So I was playing a little defensive back, and then. After the season, the basketball coach said, hey, I heard you play basketball in high school. You want to practice with us? And I said, yeah. So I did. And then I switched my scholarship to basketball. So I played wow. basketball at Chattanooga for three years. You're a pretty strong athlete if well, you could just switch right. from football to basketball. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had a pretty good career there. So I think when I left, I was their all-time leading scorer. So that was pretty cool. That's and then, awesome. And then, um, you know, went in the Army for for two years this was 1968 when i got mm -hmm. out so i was commissioned a lieutenant and was a signal corps officer went in the army for two years thank um, you for that yeah. yeah so that that was that was a wonderful experience you know i um i actually got hurt playing basketball in the army and and uh had to have two surgeries on my elbow and uh, i had uh well, i mean you know i guess that was a <laughs> mixed blessing you know i had gotten orders to go to vietnam but i i was in uh 
convalescing from elbow surgery, so oh, wow. I couldn't go. Um, but I was a signal officer and um, got out. And then I, I got it's funny because then I got hurt, I couldn't play, so they made me the coach, and that kind of changed my, you know, my path of uh-huh. uh, what I was going to do. Really didn't have any. So that's how you aspir- got into coaching. Yeah. So I didn't have any. Yeah, I didn't have any aspirations to do that. But once I started coaching the post team in the army, you know, that's kind of what I decided I wanted to do. And then I got out of the army in 1970 had a had a less was uh, my daughter was like three weeks old and didn't have a job so that was a little scary and yeah then, then my college coach called me and said hey they're looking for somebody to coach basketball and teach math at howard high school in chattanooga and so i called and this was like august 27th i got out school started like 30th yeah and, really and right so right I drove, drove to chattanooga and uh, I, I didn't have a teaching certificate or anything but they had an emergency hire so that's what i did and you know i i don't know how familiar you are with chattanooga but at that time howard high school was an all-black high school and so i was the only white teacher in an all-black high school so i don't know if you remember the tv show the white shadow i was the original <laughs> white shadow so <laughs> it was a great experience i had an opportunity to really get to know some great people that's awesome. work with some neat kids yeah and, you know look at things from completely different perspective sure. of what I grew up from and so it really was an eye-opening experience for me and, and that was 1970 1970 yeah yeah and then then I did that for a year, and then I, I went back and got my master. I worked on my master's degree and coached at UTC at Chattanooga. Yep. And so I did that for a year, and then um, I went back to Cincinnati, and I was a high school coach in Cincinnati for 10 years, basketball. Yeah. So I coached when I took the job. I think it was the biggest. I was only, what, 25, 26. So it was, I was, it was the biggest high school in uh, Ohio, I think. And oh, wow. Then, and um, it was a very upper class so it was completely different going from howard which was you know right there in the projects Mm to um anderson high school in cincinnati which was an all-white high school that um a pretty affluent community Mm -hmm. a a neighbor you know a bedroom community for cincinnati where a lot of a lot of the kids parents worked at procter and gamble or you know one of the major corporations there so so yeah so pretty different yeah big experience. change for yeah, you yeah and yeah. then i eventually got my doctorate at university of cincinnati i did it while i was coaching and teaching and so i'd teach coach and then get in my car drive over to UC, university of cincinnati at night and take classes or saturday morning so eventually how got, many children did you have then? we have two two well i when we left the when I left the army, I had one, and then my son was born in 1974. So okay. I was doing that. I started my doctoral studies in 77. So yeah, my wife is a saint. You know yeah. what I mean? She, yeah, for she real. She basically raised the two kids by herself. She'd bring the kids up to practice when we were practicing. They'd sit oh. on the gym floor, and yeah. So um, that was a big part of it. Then eventually, I had an opportunity to go to Memphis. It was Memphis State then to help developed that's where my parents went to college yeah they met there yeah so so, you know went there and you know um, what year was that that was 1981 or 82 and so is that the penny hardaway no no it was uh, a group uh we went to the final four in 85 yeah it was keith lee yes. william bedford yeah andre oh. turner vincent askew uh-huh. doom haynes so we that used to was watch team. those guys play yeah, yeah. yeah my dad was obviously a huge fan yeah and so we watched a lot of games yeah so you know that was a great experience being at memphis and it was kind of neat because um 
the guy who was the AD there was a guy named Charlie Cavanero, and Charlie didn't come from an athletic background. He was a media guy, and so it was kind of cool. He let me do a lot of stuff that, um, you know, with coaches and just programmatically do things. So that was a great experience. And in 1986, I I was fortunate enough to get the job as athletic director at Virginia Commonwealth University in Richmond. So I, back to where? Yeah, so then yeah. I went to Richmond and um, 22 years as AD there. And uh, so that's kind of that's kind of the story. So I've been very fortunate and had a lot of people. And when did you come to ETSU to be athletic director? Well, you know, I'd retired at VCU in 2000, what, 9, 10, something like that. And I wasn't doing much. I was just kind of hanging out, um, <laughs> you know, playing some golf, doing a little consulting. President Nolan, I guess, had just gotten the, the job here maybe in, in the beginning of 12, maybe. And so um, he he had he had created this um, strategic planning group called the Committee for 125, and so they started to look at athletics. And I think because of all the success we had at VCU, and particularly all the success we had in men's basketball, you know, they called me and asked me if I'd come up and look at the program and kind of share thoughts and whatever. Yeah. So, so I did. Did that a couple times, and then one of the times, you know, when I was there, you know, President Nolan said, hey, um, he actually said, I'm going to, you know, Dave Mullins was the AD, he said Dave's getting ready to retire. He said, um, what do you think? He said, do you think I should hire somebody right now, or do you think I should wait? And it was like in December. And um, I said, well, you know, I'd wait till after basketball season's over. I think, you know, the pool of candidates will be better after right. basketball season. And he said, okay. He said, well, he said, I don't have anybody I feel comfortable with putting in an interim position. He said, do you know anybody who would do that on an interim basis? And I said, well, let me think about that because I knew some guys who just retired who might do it. And, and then before I could even say much more, he said, would you do it? And I said, uh, let me talk to my wife. There so I go. did. And she said, yeah, you'll enjoy doing that. You know, go up there for you know, a couple months. And literally, like, the, so I started like January 4th, 5th or whatever. And literally the third day I was here, you know, Brian said to me, he said, hey, I've decided I'm going to restart football. Can you help me restart football? So mm-hmm. when I said, yeah, I knew that wasn't, you know, too That's much a long, deal. So, yeah, so <laughs> a long-term kind of, project. Yeah, so, so, so I stayed here, and, you know, we got football going. I mean, it was pretty interesting. We had nothing. We had no plan. We had no anything, and we didn't have a football even. And so. you had some um – I mean, probably there were a lot of people that were not in support of that. Right. I think there was some, you know, there was some reluctance for people. You know, they just see this as a pretty big expense and money can be used better and so on and so forth. Um, I think um, Brian really felt that, you know, the um, student life experience was really important. Mm -hmm. Football was really important. It does cause synergy. Right. 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 And I think, you know, the community would rally around it if mm-hmm. we did it the right way. Yes. Um, and so that was kind of a major, uh, you know, a major criteria that we, we had to do this the right way. We just couldn't afford to have any real negative things that, you know, sometimes are associated with football. And we put together, you know, a funding scheme and a financial model that would work, you know, that wouldn't, 
you know, when drain all the resources right. from our other programs. Sure. So that was important. We really realized that, you know, having a, an on-campus stadium was a critical piece yes. of it because I guess one of the when they dropped football, one of the negatives was the dome. I guess mm-hmm. it wasn't a very good place to watch football. Yeah, I watched it there, and the guys would run along the sideline, and you couldn't see, see if they yeah. caught the ball or, or right. tackled or what. Yeah, and, and I just think, you know. We just needed 12 more feet on each side. <laughs> yeah, well, I think, I think originally it was planned that way, and then they had some financial issues, and they They screwed kind of, it a little bit. Yeah. Like, we'll just make it a- <laughs> didn't think about sidelines. <laughs> but, yeah, so then, you know, so then, you know, we and, and, you know, the reality of it is, you know, the weather's really beautiful, and the fall in northeast tennessee so why wouldn't you want an outdoor sure. stadium yeah. and you know we were a little chilly in november yeah well but, but that's yeah, right. it's kind of football weather yeah. and so you know we wanted to do something and one of the so you know we we you know we hired carl torbush we knew carl was a you know was a very um had very strong values and you know and would only recruit certain type kids that was right. really important to us you know, and Carl was a great ambassador for the program. Carl could talk to anybody. Yeah. And so we hired Carl. We said, hey, Carl, you know, for, so for the first year, we really didn't have a team. And we just wanted Carl to get out and be an ambassador for what we were doing. And we uh, said, okay, we want you to have 200 different engagements, you know, during the course of the year. Well, we kept track, I think. Carl had 228 the first year, so that wow. kind of But he loves doing that. He right. loved talking to people, and yeah. that was great. And then he recruited good kids, and then we were able to build the stadium. And I think it's a beautiful, beautiful state. Yeah. yeah, I really love it. And the site is Anytime really nice. Anytime you're coming to town, people come check it out. It's fun. Yeah, it is. And so, so you know, so it all went pretty well. So you know, did that, and you know, we, you know, I hired Coach Forbes. You know, we mm-hmm. had to make a change in basketball, and. You know, Murray Bartow was a really good man, really good person. Oh, yeah. You know, the program was kind of stuck in the mud and just really didn't have any energy or not much enthusiasm. So we hired Coach Forbes, and he came in and really got the thing rolling. And, you know, I think people were excited, and we had some good things. And then kind of thought, um, you know, it was time for somebody else to kind of, you know, take over. I'd done it long enough, and um, <laughs> I thought we had gotten to a pretty stable stable position yeah. so you know yeah. we talked to president nolan and said hey you know i think time and he said well you know we want you to stick around and additionally i guess maybe uh, six years ago i had an idea of a concept of building a doctoral program and what we call global sports leadership and so um what we wanted to do is identify best practices worldwide of you know leadership in the area of sports so that's what we did and so Dr. Nolan was clearly an advocate for us doing that, so we were able to to start that program. It's a little different than most um, programs at ETSU because it's completely, there's no funding for it from the university or the state. We basically generate the revenue um, through tuition revenue and basically have a, you know, a revenue sharing deal with the university. And right now we have about 50 students actually the class is right now we have three cohorts um every year there's a new cohort we have somewhere between 16 and 18 in a cohort and right now we have 32 students who right now are in lausanne switzerland at the um international olympic committee museum oh wow so every year the 
the classes go on an international trip get to see how sport affects culture and culture affects sports so they they flew into um they flew into munich spent three days in munich got to go to a basketball game uh i think Bayern munich they gave to soccer games one year we went to barcelona yeah that'd be cool. and uh they got to see uh barcelona uh, play with messi playing mm. um one of his last games yeah and, and so yeah and we went to taiwan and japan one year so yeah it's pretty cool experience. tell me Tell me about a student like just I've got kids mm-hmm. and one's a freshman at UT and um, one's going to be coming up. And mm-hmm. so what what is what, if a student were to enroll in your program, what's kind of their future? What are they looking yeah, to well, do? What do they want to grow? Well, to, our program is would be more more um, turning out athletic directors or yeah, coaches or I, both. So, I mean, most of our I mean, our students would be more uh comparable to an executive MBA. Okay. So most of the people in our program are working in the world of sports, gotcha. somewhere in the world. We have students, and it's, it's online except for the international travel classes. So we've had students from Taiwan, Bahamas, Guam, you know, a couple other um, international places. And so, yeah, some some could be coaches, some could be athletic administrators. We have people who um, maybe, I think we've had two that are like the uh, the executive director of a high school athletic association. So I think we have one guy from Minnesota. I think oh, we have cool. another one from New Mexico. So that may be something we may have. We have one person that works for the NBA. We have somebody who works in NASCAR, you know, who is the marketing director for NASCAR. Oh, nice. Were. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so that, and then we have coaches, you know, who do it, you know, we may have a high school coach, um, we may have a, we have athletic directors, I think we have probably had five or six athletic directors, some from division two, division three. That's cool. Yeah, so, you know, it's, and, and one of the things it does, it really helps people build a network of, of, uh, you know, of, of individuals who can, help them in their careers so that's been like really good, good networking yeah it yeah. really is and then the other thing that we do kind of in conjunction with that is we have a i have a program called top connect and it kind of goes back to um maybe 2003 when i was at uh, vcu i had hired jeff capel to be our head coach and jeff was only 27 years old when i hired him to be our coach and so i thought i'd have him for a while and then you know the first year he was there um, we were successful, and so Auburn called him, Miami called him about, you know, interviewing for their jobs. And I said, oh, my goodness, you know, here I am, a mid-major athletic director, and I know I thought Jeff would be here for a while, but he's not going to be here for a while, I don't think. So I need to figure out a way to um, connect with, you know, the next generation of guys who could basically be our head basketball coach. And kind of those, building a bench. Right. And so these people that we would hire would probably be the top assistants at the preeminent programs in the country, like Ohio State or Tennessee or Florida mm-hmm. or UCLA or, you know, Kansas, wherever. So what I did is I kind of said, okay, I never have a chance to meet those people because 
where I am. I need to figure out a way to do that. So what I did, I created this initiative that was called, at that time it was called Villa 7, where we would have, I'd bring like 15 to 17 mid-major ADs together and we would talk about our issues, you know. And then that night we would have a function with, we'd invite like the top 25 or 30 assistant coaches in the country. So guys like Buzz Williams, who's now the coach at mm -hmm. Texas A&M, um, uh, who else was, was there? Um, uh, um, Mike Roberts, who's coach at Washington. John Gross, who's, who was the coach at Illinois, is now the coach at Akron. Um, Just high-level talent. Yeah, Craig Neal, who was a coach at New Mexico. I mean, who got those jobs later on. So we want, wanted to try to connect those people um, with one another. And so we did that. And so now that's kind of... That's kind of evolved into something we call Top Connect. So that's uh, cool. Yeah, so we that do that thought. now. So next month, for example, we'll have a uh, we'll have a symposium where I'll probably have you know a hundred of those top uh, assistant basketball coaches in the country come together and they'll engage with athletic directors and senior associate athletic directors. We'll have panels. I mean, uh, I was going to ask you, how do you go and and find a coach what's that process like right because there are a lot of opportunities out mm -hmm. there mm -hmm. um as an athletic you hired a new basketball coach right. last year and mm -hmm. um, and a new football coach that was a busy year yep so how do you what's that process for our listeners and for everybody out there yeah. what's that like i mean because i'm just going i don't know i mean i guess you start with your top connect group yeah yeah really you know for me i mean i and and I mean, I can say I probably don't do it like most other people do it. You well, know? That, yeah, I mean, we're, because, you're successful, though. We're, yeah, so, you know, I feel good, you know, if I hired people like Capel and, you know, Anthony Grant, you know, mm -hmm. who was really good. And then Forbes you know, did okay yeah, here. Forbes did good. Shaka Smart, you know, so those are yeah. names I think yeah. you probably recognize. So those are all really good guys. And, and I think for me, you know, because we've been able to do this program, Bill 7 and Top Connect, have a pretty good idea of the top people. But also because kind of there are people in the inner circle of college basketball who really knows what, what's going on. So the way, for example, the way I hired Steve was, you know, I called Buzz Williams, who's, you know, Texas A&M. I, I, I think Buzz was at Virginia Tech then, you know, called Shaka, you know, called Anthony Grant. You know, called Capel, called a guy named Rick Boyajis, who's the, you know, the associate um, commissioner of the Big Ten for mm -hmm. basketball. Doug Elgin, who was commissioner of, of the Missouri Valley, and just talked to those guys. Who are the best people out there? You know what I mean? You kind of get to know. And do you have like a, a wish list, like I character? Don't. Um, I don't. Winning, you know. I don't. Like, yeah. I just, you know, I just, you know. I, I, what are important things for you to look at? Well, I mean, when I hired, every situation is a little bit different, sure. you know what I mean? So yeah. here, you know, we needed somebody to come in with a lot of energy, who had a lot of contacts, who could fit well in the community. It's a funny story about Steve. We never interviewed anybody else for that job. You know, I just, you know, when I talked to President Nolan, he said, what are we going to do? I said, we're going to hire Steve Forbes, you know what I mean? And so um, <laughs> he, said, okay. he said, okay, who's Steve Forbes? So right. I told him, you know, and so, so we call Forbes and he's at Wichita. So is Brian involved in a lot of these decisions? Yeah. Yeah. Like I mean, heavily or just because it sounded like you were like, we're just going to hire Brian, you know, we're yeah, going to hire well, Steve and yeah, we're I mean, good to go. When I was doing it, you know, 
it's just me and him talking. You know right. what I mean? And he's he's very interested. He's a wonderful. Oh, he leader. loves the sports. Yeah, yeah, he is, and we talk. And I you see know him what at the games mean? all the time. Right. I mean, he's a, he's big time. Yeah, and we just talk, you know, and say this is what we're going to do. And he said, okay, and we'll talk about some things. You know what I mean? What we're looking for. And with Steve, you know, we were looking for somebody that could come in and excite the community. We knew he could recruit. You know, I liked. You know, Steve had been a coach head coach before i thought that was important mm-hmm. at the junior college level and so i kind of knew that the environment of college basketball was changing dramatically you know with you could kind of just see where it was going so we needed somebody i mean just to be honest we knew we were going to have to recruit transfers we knew mm-hmm. we were going to have to recruit juco kids and some freshmen so we were going to have to have somebody that could that could kind of blend all those things together really quickly and steve's you know steve's background was a junior college coach that's what they do they get kids to play together really quickly plus you know high energy guy we Mm -hmm. knew he could recruit everybody and he had tremendous relationships across the country and so you know and so when i talked to you know when i talked to anthony grant and shaka and uh those guys they said you know Steve Forge would be the right guy for you. And I said, okay. And we'd talk and they'd tell me about him. And, you know, the one thing that people don't understand about Steve Forbes is, you know, because he's kind of a personality character type guy. He is the most organized person you've ever met in your life. Everything is done with a plan, with a rationale. And I think that's really important. So for me, that's one of the things that I always look for in a, in, in a coach, that they have a plan. They have an idea of how to implement that plan, and they have a big picture idea of how to cover all the areas. And so, you know, that that was Forbes. You know, yeah. he basically had all those sort of things. Plus, you know, it's funny. So, we fly. Brian, Dr. Nolan is in D.C. at a meeting, and I'm here in Johnson City, Wichita, still playing in the NCAA tournament. So, so we say, okay, we're going to fly up to Wichita, and you know and meet with you know coach forbes so we go up there and brian flies in from dc i fly in from johnson city we go up there we watch wichita practice and then coach forbes and dr Noel and i go to dinner so we're sitting there at dinner and you know we're just talking you know it's just kind of a conversation like this you know it's really not much of an interview it's just a conversation and so you know after about an hour and a half there you know uh, Steve gets up, excuse himself, goes to the restroom. And so I say to President Nolan, I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, you know he's not very corporate. And, and I said, yeah, I know. That'll sell great in Johnson City. So we, we laugh about that all the time. And <laughs> yes, we're not very corporate. <laughs> yeah, so Steve, uh, you know, and then Steve, we, we laugh. He said, you know, like he knew, you know, President Nolan and I were coming up there. He said, like, for a day and a half, he did all these mock interviews and everything. He said, I got there. It wasn't even an interview. It was just like going out to dinner with some friends, you know what I mean? So, <laughs> so yeah, so, you know, we, we got that deal done, and they continued to play. Wichita continued to play for a while, and then he came in, and, you know. So, yeah, for me, it's more about that. I mean, I have, I have a lot of people that I trust. It's a really close inner circle of people gotcha. I really trust who I think um, you'll get the real, um, you know, the real information from those people. Yeah. I mean, today, in today's world, most people will form search committees mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. I've never been an advocate for that because if the person doesn't do a good job, 
the search committee's gone and it's going to be right left on your shoulders left yeah. on my shoulders and you know Scott what Carter I mean? got to deal and with it. that's right so you know and then we've got to you know the coach and i have to interact we have to have a relationship you know the committee doesn't have to have a relationship you right. know what i They're mean out the door. so that's you know that's why that's you know, i've thought. kind of done it you know that way and that's probably very uncommon but it's worked for me and yeah. fortunately both at bcu and etsu they've allowed me to do that and uh, it's been we've got some pretty good results yeah yeah we're excited to see what desmond can do this coming year and yeah Des, des is a good guy i think he is you know he came into a tough situation yeah and uh i'd have, love to have him on here yeah I'm sure we'll, our listeners would love to hear talk yeah, we'll, to him as we'll, well too yeah we'll get him on he's great yeah. he's got he's nothing great. to do this summer <laughs> So, um, talking about leadership and coaching and all that stuff, what's what's one piece of advice that you could pass on to our listeners that you've learned over the years that you're like, man, this is gold? Well, I think, you know, the most important thing with anything is you have to build trust, you know, with, you know, if you're a coach, if you're, you know, in any kind of management position, you have to build trust within, you know, your, your folks who are within mm-hmm. your group. And, you know, I think you do that by being honest and you be competent. You know, I think you have to, you know, model what you you expect. I think, you know, people have to look at you and realize, you know, that you work hard, that you're competent, that you get things done. And, you know, I think, you know, you have to have victories. You know, I think you, people have to feel good about what they're doing and successes. So I think all that kind of comes in with that trust thing. So if you don't have trust because you're not honest or, you know, you're not competent, it's going to be tough to be successful. So that would be what I would think. You know, I see some people who want to try to, uh, what would be the word, and frame every situation and, you know, it's dance not, around it a little bit. Yeah, it's not exactly <laughs> the way it really is. You know what I mean? And, uh, first of all, I'm not smart enough to do that. Second of all, I don't think it. Re- I think, you know, let's deal with it. Let's deal with all the issues right now. Yeah, let's go for sure. And if there's a problem, let's do it. Let's get it out. Let's be straightforward with it. You know, we're not going to cover it up. We're not going to try to. Right, let's just deal with it. Let's deal forward. with it right now yeah. and get on. You know, because you know that way it won't linger. It won't create more Fester. and more situations yeah. down the road. We'll deal with it right now. So. Good advice. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Trust. So I mean, I think that directness is important, and sometimes I think leaders fearful of you know of that. They think people may not like them or whatever. I mean, you know, just do the right thing. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> it's not right hard. Right? <laughs> you know, it's the choices we make. Choices all the time. Yeah. All the time. What do you see in the future for ETSU's uh, athletic department? Yeah. I mean, this is a. I mean, this is a. A very um, uh, well. To be perfectly honest, I think college athletics is in turmoil right now. So I mean, I, I think it's a really tough time. Um, I think. School. What do you talk more about the turmoil? What do you well, feel like I mean, I think you know, with what's happened in the NCAA, the two things that have been um, that have really caused you know a, a tremendous. Um, a tremendous change in college athletics or, you know, NIL, name, image, and likeness. Players can basically be paid. Gotcha. You know, so that's problematic. I don't know if it's problematic, but it's a huge change. It's definitely different. And then the other thing is, you know, the transfer portal or one-time transfer. Uh, 
op opportunity. And so I think because the NCAA wasn't smart enough, to, if they were going to do it, they probably should have done both at the same time because now what you've done is you've basically created pay for play and, you know, free market, you know, um, free agency in college athletics. So, you know, these um, universities, you know, like an ETSU that, compared to power fives and we just you know, can't compete right they're under resourced you know ETSU's athletic budget maybe and I don't know because I don't do it on a daily basis maybe 18 million dollars you know Tennessee's is probably 200 million dollars you know what different. I mean plus you know <laughs> Tennessee you know Tennessee's big in NIL you know what I mean they've got a collective and supposedly you know they got 25 million dollars basically to influence kids to go to Tennessee and play you know, to play. So, therefore, you know, kids that are at other universities say, I can go to Tennessee and, um, you know, get paid. I mean, I, I mean I've mean, i heard numbers. I'm not going to say what they are. Yeah. But, you know, they, so I can make a couple so, million dollars playing there. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's just like the As mess. A, coming out of high school. Right. I mean, really? it's like the mess that happened in Miami of Florida. I guess they got to transfer uh, the guy who is, what is it, Life Wallet. You know, he basically paid this kid transfer from Kansas State. $800,000 in a car and so one of the kids that was on the team and they were a good team last year who went to the final eight he said oh wait a second you know um, I need some of that money you know what sure, I mean yeah. because I'm a good player who has been here we uh, I need you know uh -huh. if this guy's making 800000 you've never done anything for here I need something here sure. you know what I mean and, yeah. you, and then you start and, getting into yeah and then you just start getting into paying players you know and basically you know Name, image, and likeness. So supposedly, what was the thought process behind that for the NCAA? Well, you got, yeah, man, you got all the talking heads. You got Jay Bill saying all these poor players. You know that they, you know, the university are using four years before they make millions in right. the NBA. You know, right. like that's kind of the yeah. I mean, you know, and I, and I think the reality of what you know, it's really funny the way things have changed. You know, ten years ago, kind of the. Uh, you know, the mentality on campus was, oh, these athletes, they're spoiled, they're on full scholarship, they don't have to work, a lot of these kids have to work, they have to do this, they have to do that, and these athletes get everything. Okay, that was probably a fairly common mentality on right. campus. Today, it's like, oh, these players don't get enough, you know what I mean? Uh, you know, they're on full scholarship, they get paid, they get costs of attendance, they get this academic support money that's $6,000. So, you know, and now they get, they can get NIL. So, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, you got kids making, you know, the Alabama quarterback back makes a million and a half dollars. You know, the Ohio State quarterback makes $1.4 million before he ever through a pass, you know That's what I mean? crazy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. But, you know, so I think you got, you know, the talking heads, all these kids, these universities are making millions of dollars. And, and, and you know, the NCAA kind of did it to themselves because sure. when you're paying coaches $9 million. It's pretty hard to justify. I mean, it's an easy, it's an easy um, argument for the people that want to get that through. Sure. Where this poor kid, he's working hard. He gets he's a scholarship. He's the coach. Right, and the coach is making $9 right. million. Plus, you're building these, you know, $500 million football stadiums. And right. You've got doing a all huge these company, things. and all right. the employees aren't getting paid. Right. So that's kind of the mentality. But, you know, the reality of it is – you know, if you looked at the value of what these kids are getting, you know what I mean? I, right. I saw something five years ago that the average 
value of, uh, I, I forget what school it was, Wisconsin or somewhere, the average value is like $112,000 a year. You know, Like a full scholarship. Right, I mean, it's full and scholarship. Housing and but you get housing, and food, and the travel that you get, yeah. and, you know, all the strength and conditioning benefits that you get, all the health care that you get, all that sort of stuff. That's all the connections yeah, all, you're yeah. making through the right. university for yeah. later on. Yeah, so, you know, so that never really comes out much you know what i mean that you know you don't have to pay for anything you're not paying any taxes on anything you know what i mean so you're generating uh for yourself pretty Pretty i mean value people pay taxes on that that's 150 yeah yeah Yeah. so people never think about value they just you know and i think these kids are getting tremendous value and you look at you know you look at guys like zion williamson who went to duke you know what i mean when he came out of high school you know his value was X. Well, he goes to Duke and he's on TV every game, and all the his, his value was so through the roof. Through the roof, and it was because of his ability to go to Duke and get all that exposure, you know. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to give any value to that, you know. If you had to pay to build your brand like that, what would that cost? You oh, know what I mean? Big money. Yeah. So I mean, I think that's where college athletics is going. So, so that's kind of a long answer to a pretty <laughs> short question but i think for etsu that is uh one of our re- struggles now. yeah so it's pro- problematic and, and plus what's going on with the ncaa you know is there ultimately i mean you know are you going to have this major bifurcated system where you're going to have all the elite you know programs texas tennessee ohio state florida ucla that are spending 200 million dollars and then you know you have these other guys down here that can't really throw those kind of dollars at this so you know when will that group that is investing so much and spending so much money on it when will they say wait a second what are we doing we need to we need to manage ourselves we need to have our own and that's kind of where it's headed yeah i would think think, yeah if i was already thinking about hearing conversations about you know what's the ncaa actually provide at that point you know and so yeah and 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 i think you know the reality of it is i think football is the driving Mm -hmm. force for up because the money is just so big you know with football and i think i don't think the thing will totally ncaa i think the basketball tournament is so valuable Mm -hmm. that i think I think football may be eventually just go out on their own. You know what I mean? And yeah. the NCAA will manage the other sports, but football just could be its own thing. Yeah, it could do its own thing. Cause, Interesting. You know, yeah, because I mean, the transition committee for the NCAA just came out and said that you know they are going to recommend that you know all the they call them Olympic sports or all the equivalency sports. Um, and, you know, in the NCAA, each sport has a limit as to how many scholarships you can give, or they're going to make the recommendation that the equivalency sports no longer have any limit as the number of scholarships you can have or the number of coaches that you can have. So for the ETSUs in the world, you know, we have one of the preeminent golf programs mm-hmm. in the country, but mm-hmm. what will that do? Because you can only have four and a half golfers on four and a half scholarships. So what will that happen to our golf program if – Florida can have 15 golfers on right. its full scholarship, you know, and Oklahoma State can have 14, whatever, you know what I mean? And they can have four coaches. They can have a putting coach, a shipping coach, you know. Uh, I mean, you know what I mean? Yeah, so they can just throw as much yeah. money at it as yeah. possible. So Nutrition I think that's where ETSU is kind of, you know, right there in the crossroads of 
where they're going to go, how they're going to go there, and kind of try you, and figure it all out. Is there a way for you to get on one of some of the NCAA committees? Or are you already on there kind of helping make some of these, like throwing the other side of the coin argument out there? And no, I'm not now. You know, I was on back in the day when I was at VCU. I was on, I was in the championships cabinet. And, yeah. you know, I think it's kind of funny right now that I just saw that um, the Knight Commission is um, – the way the NCAA, the NCAA is about their only revenue generator is the men's basketball tournament. You gotcha. know. All the other championships barely make money. There's only three NCAA championships that make money, and that's that's um, men's basketball, uh, baseball, and um, wrestling and hockey make a little bit, you know. So some years wrestling does, some years hockey does, but none, none of the other sports make any money. They all are, they all cost money, you know. So the way the NCAA, the money that they have, they redistribute back to the member institutions, you know. And one of the big ways to do it is the way you generate money is by wins in the NCAA tournament. So you basically the conference that you're in. For every win that you get in the NCAA tournament, you get about $300,000 over six years. So the least anybody will get is $1.8 million a year. Nice. If, but you can imagine some of these teams, every game that you play, you get 300000 So yeah, you can imagine building. the Big Ten who has nine teams in the tournament. So, you know, figure those numbers out. Yeah. So that gets to be pretty big numbers. So. Yeah. They, they can't lose, really. If right. Either uh, team wins or loses, yeah. they're still making the other Right. Runs. So, you know, that, that they may have what are called units. So some conferences only have six units. Some conferences will have 50 units. So you multiply that times 300,000, and that's what you get. So they just came out and said, well, why don't why, why the schools need to get money based upon also the women's tournament and the wins in the women's tournament. But the women's tournament doesn't make any money. The women's tournament right. loses money. So you how know do you I mean? pay? Yeah, so you're paying. You, you're just you taking know, money. So, you're stealing yeah, it from Paul. To right, pay right. Pay. And I think that's where, you know, the thing gets. And I understand Title IX. Uh, I think, you know, you ought to invest and give everybody opportunity to yes. compete. But the reality of it is no no business in the world would operate like this. Right. You know what I mean? Right, that yes. The ones making all the money is not the one that you're going to try to elevate you know right. what i mean and so um but that's that's where we are right now so there's so many issues there's out a there. lot going on in there mm -hmm. yeah there really is um i guess it's one of those where it looks like you know five years from now maybe we do it to ourselves and it kind of implodes and they have to start over and figure it out you know oh i think you know there's going to be some dramatic changes you know i just yeah. don't know um you know and then you know the uh, you know, the NCAA is talking to, to Congress to start to regulate college athletics. And, you know, I scratch my head on that one because you would think Congress has enough issues going on rather than uh, fool yeah. with, you know, regulating, you know, college sports. Plus, I'm not totally convinced they do a great job regulating anything. You know what I mean? So <laughs> right. I think they, I think they we got, don't need to add anything to their plate. Right. <laughs> I think they got bigger fish to fry than deciding whether the quarterback at Alabama should get a million or 1.2 million. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, yeah, it is. That's just, it's like, yeah. do your job, people. Yep. Um, Okay, and now speaking of cash and money, you're raising dollars. What are you doing? Tell me, Twan said you're shooting free throws. But. Yeah, yeah, I am. Thanks for asking. Of course. Uh, um, yeah, so um, 
now that I have a little more time than I used to, um, my grandson was born with a severe birth defect where um, within the first 24 hours of birth, he had to have surgery to save his life. Mm. And then the condition that he had required probably, I don't know how many more, three, four, five subsequent surgeries. We knew that. And so while the surgeries have mitigated his condition, they can't cure it, you know. So he has some issues. And what what became so apparent to me is when you have a child born with a birth defect, you know, it really changes the life path of the family because now, you know, you worry about your child constantly. You have to, I mean, with Finn, his name's Finnegan. Mm -hmm. So Finnegan has therapy all the time. You know, he has, um, he just, they're just, it's just so different. You know what I mean? When you have a child with that. And as we started looking at it, we found one in 33 children in the USA are born with a birth defect. So as you talk to people who have a child with birth defect, there's a lot of um, challenges that face them. So to bring attention to the fact that, you know, one in 33 children are born with a birth defect, you know, what I want to do is start a charity and to raise money for it and to bring attention to it. What I did on November 4th, um, I wanted to see how many free throws I could make in 24 consecutive hours. Oh, wow. So I did. How many did you get? And I made 3,956. My goal was to make 3,300. So you you smoked that. Good job. Yeah. So we asked people to, you know, give a dime, a nickel, a penny, a dollar for every free throw that I made. So we did that. And, you know, that was good. We raised about, you know, $150,000. Charles Barkley gave us 25000 That's so that awesome. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Good and then, for you. So then, you know, I didn't want this to go away. Sure. So, so I said, okay, on December 15th, I'm going to shoot free throws for six months. Finnegan, you know, um, his birthday is June 15th. So in six months, I'm going to make 33,000 free throws. So nice. every day I shoot free throws that winds up being i need to make about 175 a day to get there so right now i've got about a month to go and i've got less than 5,000 to make so yeah so some days i'll uh, you know I, I can't make very many but i try to make at least one every day and some days i think the most i've made in any since december i think i made a thousand and 18 one day because i had time to do it and that's cool so yeah so that and you know so we do that and what we're doing we're we're doing research on trying to find commonalities of uh coping skills for families of children with birth defects are working with the strong brain institute at etsu and ballad we're we're um doing that research, Dr. Kimberly Hale, who is the Director of Early Childhood Learning and Development at ETSU, is doing research. So one of the things she's doing, she interviews families and then looks for commonalities. And, we're, and you know, it's kind of a small pilot research project now. So we're doing that. That's and cool. And the other thing, working with, you know, the instructional design people, uh, a woman named Dr. Chelsea Dubay at, at ETSU, we're designing curriculum for teachers to help them deal with the peers of children born with birth hmm. defects because yeah. while they may have some uh, instruction of how to deal with those kids, um, quite often, you know, you know, kids can be, you know, they can be pretty um, mean, I guess, to a kid who's different, you know sure. what I mean? And so we really feel it's important that teachers have the ability to help those 
kids, those peers of these kids to, to understand those kids are no different and create empathy for that sure. child. And they're you a heartbeat away from being that. Yeah, exactly. You know, by you God's know, grace alone, yeah, they're, it, you know, they're, they're, yeah. they're healthy and other kids not, you know, yeah. and it's just, yeah, it's just fake. Yeah, so that's what we're doing. So we're building this that's program. Cool. And so, yeah, so we have a curriculum developed and we've got the first three or four modules and we're going to get that out here and then we're going to continue to do something. And then the last thing that we're developing in conjunction with the curriculum, we're going to develop, a, you know, a social media platform for those families. And so people, one of the things we're finding out in the research is that, you know, if people can kind of share their story and sure. feel that they are helping somebody else it's almost cathartic for them yeah. to be able to do that so we are creating that also so that's what we're using the money for is there any like sibling um therapy or help as well yeah yeah and that's in? so yeah so so that's what you know that's one of the things that you know we're looking at you know, i think that would probably be under you know like you've got one kid who needs constant care and the other one may get left out you know right. how oh. do you integrate him into the care and all oh, that and, exactly that's one of the yeah. things we're finding out very does clearly have any siblings uh he does so yeah. finnegan's got a, a little sister named fontaine and so Aww. yeah so finn's seven fontaine's five and yeah yeah she's great though she understands him and she's his biggest uh supporter supporter yeah, and awesome. defender and everything else so <laughs> it's kind of neat those are the only two grandkids for uh, you i have a my that's my son's two kids my daughter has a son and he's uh He's 17. So, oh, wow. Yeah, so he's uh, he's doing good. A little he, different he, spectrum there. Yeah. yeah, it is. So, yeah, he's doing good. He's he's going into his senior year in high school. And, is he coming to ETSU? Uh, he loves ETSU because he, he comes up. You know, he used to come up here in the summer and, you know, go to basketball camp and hang out. He and President Nolan has a son who's 17, so they've gotten to be good friends. You know, I live right there next yeah. to President Nolan. So, Is that where you're still living? Yeah, I still live in the guest house, so they take care of me, you know. So That's pretty I, good. I need somebody to take care of me there. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, so that's Keep you in the I'm style like. you're accustomed to. Yeah, exactly. Over there on Shellbridge's yeah, yeah. grounds. Yeah, that's yep. awesome. Yeah. I, I lived around the corner on Ninth Avenue okay. um, for years. And so, yeah, when you were, <laughs> I'd watch play basketball and all that fun stuff over there. Mm -hmm. So, good spot. Yep. Okay. How can, uh, something, anything I didn't ask you that I should have? No, just if anybody wants to do anything to help us with the Finnegan's Challenge, they yeah. can go to our website, finneganschallenge.org, and, you know, you look on at Instagram and, see what and we're all doing. that, too? Mm -hmm. You on Instagram and Facebook? Uh, we are, yep. Okay. So, yeah, Finnegan's we Challenge. are. And we're actually, we're really, um, we just kind of uh, retained a group to help us with social media marketing, okay. you know, and I think we're going to start getting, you know, more out there on, oh. on Instagram and, yeah. you know, Twitter, and who knows? We'll I might become a, we can. Yeah, I may become a. You know, I may become a TikTok star. Who knows? I think know? that you could be an influencer, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you already are an influencer. How can our listeners connect with you? What's the best way to get? Uh, yeah, if just, you had a question for Dr. Yeah, just Sander. email me. Yeah. Yeah, Sander at etsu.edu. Okay. Yeah. Sounds good. And also, you like to play a little golf, I hear. So yeah, not good. very well, though, unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. People I, coming into the area, what's your favorite golf course around? Well, you know... Um, my favorite course, I think. That's a good question. You know, uh, I, I I like the Virginian. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's a really good course. I think it's a pretty traditional course. And, it is pretty. Um, very pretty. And, you know, it's a nice uh, nice place to play. Mm -hmm. Get away from 
everything a little there bit. There you, you go. Know? Turn yep. the phone off and just go play some golf. Yep. That's what um, I try to do every once in a while. I have a speed round, but you're not a coffee guy. I was going to say black coffee or fancy, but you're a no coffee. No coffee. and yeah, never had a drop but you'll drink it. But you'll drink a Diet Coke. Yeah, I don't know why. When I was a kid, <laughs> I guess my parents drank it, and... I don't know. It just looked like dirty water. To me. I'm going, why are people drinking dirty water? So I never got that out of my head. You know? Where do you and your wife go to get a, a burger? Mm. Well, you know, I'm kind of a five guys deal. I like five yeah, guys. That's yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, I do. You call yeah. that heart attack in a sack. Yeah, hey. yeah. that's for sure. Uh, pizza. Where's your favorite pizza joint? Um, My favorite pizza joint. Um. Uh, I like all pizza. Yeah, <laughs> so I have that one. Yeah, I really, really like. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, we try them all, you know. What, if you guys are, what's your wife's name? Mary. Mary. How mm-hmm. long have you guys been married? Uh, 50. We got married in 1968, however long that is. Oh, wow. 54 years. Out of boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. She's great. Yep. Take night for you and Mary? Uh, <laughs> just you know, main thing is just being with the kids, the grandkids. That's the best thing we can do. You yeah. know, Finn and Fontaine or Jack. That's awesome. Come over, yeah. That's the best thing we can that's do. The best date night ever. Yeah. Yep. Cool. It really is. Well, thank you for coming in. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you, listeners, for listening. Um, I really enjoyed getting to hang out with you. It's been a pleasure for sure. Well, so, thanks. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Yeah, until next time, I'm Colin Johnson with the Colin and Carly Group and Keller Williams Realty. If you want to sell your home or make a move to Johnson City, I'm here to help. If you want to help out Finnegan's Challenge, we're going to have the link down below in the podcast um, notes, and then we'll also have it on the social medias as well to help out Dr. Sander and his grandkids. I think that's an awesome, awesome um venture that you're stepping into and way to help out so and then uh, come support etsu come to the basketball games football games track tennis golf we've got it all we're and we're killing it at all of them so and then pray that the the guys win the national championship in golf this year yeah they're right there now they are going after it so yep yes sir yeah thanks again have a great day thank you appreciate you